selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Hello, everyone. I hope that you're all doing well. We're back again with a collection of stories guaranteed to really scare you. Also, too, if you're unfamiliar with the YouTube channel, I recommend that you go and check it out. It's just Mr. Creeps in the search bar. Give it a try, I think you'll like it. But without further ado, let's get into it. As we drift further into Mr. Creeps' mind. Attention. Curfew begins in five minutes. Please head to your home now. Written by Like I Did. I live inside one of those picture-perfect, gated neighborhoods. A place where life is always safe and sound because nobody can come in and disturb the peace that is so naturally dear to the residents' hearts. Not with all these security in place. And cameras on each corner watching every step. Neighbors that are extra attentive. And then we have this cold and ugly concrete building at the entrance where these security people work. It's probably the only hideous piece of architecture in here, and has one of the guards standing right at the gate, and greeting everyone who passes by with a friendly wave and smile. That is, if they truly belong here, of course. The loud and busy town isn't far away, but if you stood behind the gate, you wouldn't be able to tell as we are half surrounded by deep forest. My new neighborhood, named as Sanctuary Hills despite not sitting on a hill, is the essence of suburbia. Two-level homes, often in hunter green or eggshell white, embellish the wide streets with long driveways. The homes are big enough for generations, but usually only inhabited by a married couple with one child and a dog. When a family is very extraordinary, they might have a cat instead, but that's the tip of craziness the people here might express. The people that live here are the kind that cut the grass on their lawns on the same day every week. Each building here has a spacious pool. 
many shaped just like kidneys, but most are hardly used. Except for when there is a pool party, of course, and there are many. Usually in combination with a barbecue. In the short time that I've lived here, I must have been invited to three already, but I didn't make it to one. They usually start very early in the day when I still work. While I never imagined this to be my cup of tea, I am still astonished by the way that I enjoy these surroundings that are so perfect. It should be uncanny, but somehow it's not. Somehow you do always feel safe. It really is a nice neighborhood, even if I don't entirely fit the demographic. I only came here very recently after my grandmother had started getting more unwell. She has been living here on her own since Grandpa passed, and as I work remote, it seemed perfectly reasonable for me to come and live with her. She doesn't need anybody to take care of her physically, just company that is around and ready if her head starts to spin. And besides, Grandma is as sweet as grandmothers get. So being here for her is more than simple for me, and I get to live in a beautiful home in a wonderful place. The only negative side to all of this is the lack of people my age. Most residents are either rather old and have been living here for centuries, or they're middle-aged with children, seldom plural and in many cases singular. To repeat myself, neither really fits my demographic, but for now, this is totally fine. Especially considering social interactions are currently limited either way. It's one of the reasons, or possibly the main one, why I didn't mind when I was told about the curfew. I've heard of many places and towns that believe a curfew could be beneficial to our current situation. And while here inside Sanctuary Hills, there are many places that I would go anyway, especially not at night. The curfew begins right after dinner time, which currently is 8pm, just after sunset. It was one of the first things that grandma told me when I arrived in something that she still repeats often. Make sure to be back inside before curfew. People really do not appreciate it if you don't. They're a sucker for the rules. She said with a smile that didn't match the sentiment in her voice. Sure, that's fine. It's not forever, right? I laughed. Oh, of course not. The sun moves with the days. Soon you'll have more time. What? As I said, physically, Grandma was feeling fine. Mentally, however, her mind was not as sharp as it used to be. Can you go to the store, hon? What time is it now? She asked now with a much calmer expression. It was only 2pm when I made my way to the store and less than half an hour later, I was standing in line waiting for my turn. The store is rather a small shop but has everything that we need. If we wanted to splurge, I suppose we could go to the markets in town, but Grandma likes the products here and is very used to them. And Grandpa used to enjoy them as well, and honestly, I like them too. The produce is fresh, and while the brands are unfamiliar, everything tastes nice. So I was standing in line when I saw the only person so far that truly grabbed my attention in a very different way than the other people here. If I noticed the people in Sanctuary Hills, 
It's usually because they seem so peculiar with their looks and their tastes. With hair too high and makeup too bright. As if they recently escaped out of a book by Dr. Seuss. The person that I saw standing just in front of the grocery store, however, was a young man around my age, dressed in a denim jacket with black pants. He was holding a cigarette but not even taking a drag. Instead, he seemed to focus on something in the air or possibly on the lamppost. I could have just walked out and talked to him, but I used to live in the big city where you usually don't talk to neighbors at all, and somehow I felt too shy. So I found an excuse by buying a pack of cigarettes at the counter, despite not having smoked in years and asking the stranger for a lighter as I walked outside, with my paper bag filled with groceries. I suppose I really was a bit desperate for friends in this lonely place. You're new here, aren't you? He asked after lighting up my cigarette. I suppressed the urge to cough and answered, Yeah, I'm staying with my grandma for a while. He inspected me a second too long and then said, uh, Abigail Allen. Yeah, that's her. How'd you know? The neighborhood wasn't big and if he lived here for a while, it wouldn't surprise me if he knew most of the people. But guessing simply from my appearance alone was a bit too fast. He grinned. I'm not a stalker, I promise. I know all the people that live here and hear about any newcomings right away. Well, that's not strange at all. He laughed. I have a good reason, I swear. I'm in charge of these security systems here and usually install the cameras for the people's homes as well. He pointed toward the thing that he earlier was looking at. It was a security camera hanging on top of the lamppost. You know, it's all kind of ironic. I usually feel far more unsafe when there's too much security. Like there has to be a reason they're so careful, right? I said and already started regretting my words, but the guy smiled again. And to be honest, I don't see the purpose either, but I get paid so I won't complain. Uh, so let's hope the people here stay paranoid. I laughed. We chatted a bit longer. Longer than I initially imagined we would, but I assumed the stranger, his name was Jack as I found out, didn't have much interaction with peers in Sanctuary Hills either. He did know people in town, however, and invited me to go for a beer by the river with them, just after dinner. What about the curfew? I raised an eyebrow. Jack gave me a funny look as if I was a bit clueless. How old are you? Now he was raising an eyebrow. I rolled my eyes. Funny, I'm 25 but you know what curfew I mean. They blast it through the speakers every evening. Jack chuckled. Alright, I see. And you live with your grandma too who probably doesn't go out at night either way but trust me, you can. I think it's more so the kids stay inside. Nobody's gonna arrest you for leaving the house after 8, Charlie. So far, I never really had a reason to go outside, but thinking about it, Sanctuary Hills had such a small population, and going to a different place for one evening seemed perfectly reasonable. Depending on how long I would stay here, finding some friends would be nice. Besides, Jack worked for the security system or whatever. If it was that forbidden, he would know. 
All right, I'm in, I decided. Hey, cool. So, shall we meet at the gate? Just after eight. Grandma and I had dinner, but she was rather tired and went to bed early. I hadn't told her about my plans to go out, but I figured that I would leave her a note. And I would take my phone with me so that she could reach me if she needed to. I noticed that I was a bit late when I suddenly heard the announcements from the street. I had heard them the past days too, of course, but somehow they seemed even louder now. Attention, attention, residents of Sanctuary Hills. Please be aware that the curfew begins in only five minutes. Find your way home swiftly and have a pleasant sanctuary evening inside your homes. The announcement started and ended with a jingle. I must say I felt a bit nervous going outside after hearing the announcement. I had been a lot more confident when I was talking to Jack. Suddenly, I also felt guilty for wanting to leave without Grandma knowing. I sighed and made the choice not to go out. However, I didn't have Jack's number and simply not showing up would be really rude. So I decided that I would quickly run down to the gate, tell him to leave without me and come back home. A few minutes outside past curfew really shouldn't be an issue after all. Well, that's the point when I learned oh, how seriously the curfew really is taken by the people of Sanctuary Hills. I learned the hard way when I opened the door to my home only a few minutes before 8. As I opened the wooden door, I was greeted by two bright faces grinning so intensely, it almost appeared as if they were in pain. A man and a woman that I hadn't seen before. She had red hair with much volume and was wearing round pink glasses. Her lips were bright red and her flowery dress seemed not casual at all. He completed her look with a button-down shirt, perfectly ironed brown pants and shiny loafers. They looked strangely old-fashioned, even more than the other people here. Well, hello there. What a sweet darling you are. Don't you agree, Harold? The woman said and the makeup on her face started cracking from her non-stopping smile. Oh, pleasantly, darling, truly, my dear. I laughed politely but mainly nervously. Good evening. Are you looking for my grandma? I asked. Oh, no, dear, we're not. Abigail is a sweetheart and is often in bed before the time. She doesn't worry us one bit. The woman spoke. Worry? Why would? We hope you did not intend to leave the house. That would be an awful mistake. Haven't you looked at the time? Oh, it must have slipped your mind. Well, now, now, swiftly go back in and we will forgive and forget. They both laughed. And all, all of a sudden, they were sounding nervous. I'm sorry, have we met before? I asked and my eyes moved to the clock above our door. I never thought about it before, but it was a strange place to hang a clock. They didn't answer my question. The man now had his hand in the doorframe, too close for my taste. I'm only planning to bring a message to a friend. I'll be right back home, I said, feeling weird that I had to make excuses for doing something so normal. No reasonable friend would meet you at a time like that, my dear. Now, will you listen or not? They were still smiling, but their voices were raised so high that I was afraid they would wake my grandma.
Right, I'm sorry. Where do you live? I asked. They turned their heads in a half circle and pointed towards the scarlet red house on the other side of the street. I had been wondering who lived in a house so noticeable. Their heads moved back so quickly that their necks had no chance to follow. For a second, I thought that they might break. My feet moved back faster than I could think. My gut started screaming to shut the door. Those creatures that called themselves neighbors were far too uncanny. Something was utterly wrong with them. It made my blood almost freeze. How did you... I muttered and then swallowed. I promise I won't go outside. Liar, the woman shouted. At that point, I was more than worried. These people were scaring me, and the slowly setting sun was only adding to the gloomy atmosphere. I shut the door without another thought. My hands started shaking and I didn't understand why. I didn't understand how I was suddenly so scared by such a situation that should be ordinary from an outsider's perspective. I wanted to go and talk to the only person that I had met and somehow trusted, but I couldn't possibly leave Grandma. Should I call the police? I wondered, but I changed my mind as those weirdos hadn't actually done anything. I stood in front of the closed door, but I could still hear them. They didn't leave. I heard them breathing, louder and louder by the second. I had to go wake Grandma. That was my second thought, but it was interrupted. A shiver went through my body when I felt a sharp pain in my left arm. What are you doing? I turned my head and my eyes met the ones of Abigail. My grandmother stared at me with pupils so big that I thought her eyes were all black. Her nails were digging into my skin. When she saw my scared expression, she let go. I'm sorry, honey. I told you to not go out after dark. They don't like it. They don't like it one bit. I thought my grandmother's mind was a bit confused, but after seeing those neighbors, she appeared like the sharp one. Come look. She waved me to the window. My stomach made a turn when I saw Harold and his strange wife standing on our lawn waving. There appeared to be other people behind them too, but I couldn't look at them for long. Grandmother waved back and that seemed to make them happy, but not happy enough to leave. Oh no, they stayed. They stayed for hours despite the curfew that they were now breaking themselves. Or maybe it didn't count because they were standing on a lawn. That's when Grandma pulled me away from the window and closed the blinds. They shielded us from views outside but not from the noise. The noise of ear-splitting screams, painful and sharp. I couldn't exactly tell if they were near or simply so loud that you could hear them throughout the entire neighborhood. My first thought was that it had to be Jack somewhere outside, but I couldn't say for sure. What had I gotten myself into? All I knew was that there was no way that I could go outside. I was stuck in here, at least in safety for now. You woke them up and now they'll stay for a bit. Grandma interrupted my thoughts as she gently stroked my hair. 
but it's all good love. Just stay inside with me until the morning, yes? Now, I know that my reaction might have been just as odd or at least nearly as strange as the one of the neighbors. I obliged to the curfew and stayed inside despite knowing that something was not right. But then again, what else was I supposed to do? They stood there all night, even when it started raining and hailing. I couldn't help but wonder if they were somehow helping me, keeping me away from what were caused the torture outside. However, one look at their stiff faces that had smiles plastered on them assured me that they couldn't possibly have good neighborly duties in mind, and wondering whether it was only them, Harold and her who had an issue or two, proved wrong as well when it slowly became a crowd of people out there on her lawn. Grandma acted like it was the most normal thing and was sure at least one of us was going insane, or possibly both of us went a bit loony in our own ways. Inside this home in this neighborhood that we weren't leaving, Sanctuary Hills had its hands wrapped around us tightly and we stayed. Well, Grandma did because she had been living here for ages and saw no reason to leave now. I will elaborate on her far too apathetic reaction to the insane neighbors later. I must have been even crazier for not leaving either, but I believed to have good reasons. One, I didn't have a car and my only form of transportation was my feet, and walking or even running from those weirdos did not seem like a great plan. Second, I couldn't possibly leave my grandmother and as previously mentioned, she certainly was not going. I did try to call for help as one should in a terrifying situation as such. It seemed logical to me and under normal circumstances it sure would have been. The first one that I tried to reach was my mother. My mother who was the personification of concern and who I normally would choose last to share my fears with simply because she is so terribly anxious. And no, she didn't try to talk sense into me or prove to me that everything was fine and well. No, she acted awfully worse. Our call went just the same way as it did with anybody else that I tried to reach. Mom, I don't know what to do. I think that we might be in danger. Grandma is not. Oh, darling, say hi to your grandmother for me. I haven't called her in ages. I'm an awful daughter, aren't I? Mom, no, you need to listen. Something is terribly wrong. Are you making sure that she's eating well? I know how she adores sweets, but... What is going on? I shrieked. Mom, I can't get a hold of the police. I don't know what to do. Right, oh honey, I almost forgot. Make sure your grandpa takes his medicine. After those words, I hung up. My mother couldn't have possibly forgotten that her own father had died more than a year ago. My hands were shaking. No, my entire body was trembling. At first, I believed that only the people in Sanctuary Hills were going insane or had been insane all the time without me consciously noticing, but now it was spreading. Believing that maybe, just maybe, it was only my family. I called others, too. All sorts of numbers that I had on my phone. Friends, old colleagues, and even an ex. Every conversation went like me talking about one thing, and then responding to questions that I had never asked. 
For the rest of the night, I locked myself and grandma inside her room. She went to sleep and I went crazy until morning came. After numbing down from the shock just enough, my mind started calculating and racing through every logical explanation, as well as illogical ones including their prospective outcomes. Like a machine, my head went through the algorithms. No result was satisfactory, however. Everything was nice and normal and fine. And that's when Grandma assured me what was happening. I still wasn't sure what to do next. Our lawn was empty, but I did see people walking around outside as they do each day. A postman walking around, filling me peculiar mailboxes, gardeners watering plants, and children playing hopscotch. They all appeared so awfully regular that I almost decided to open the door and talk to someone, but somehow I couldn't bring myself to turn the doorknob. I was too anxious. The curfew wouldn't start for another many hours, but I didn't dare to leave the house. It proved a safe last night at least. More hours passed and I eventually fell asleep from all the exhaustion and from staying up all night. It must have been late in the afternoon when I woke up again. When there was a knock on the door later in the evening, my heart skipped a beat. I started cold sweating only thinking about those neighbors standing outside again. They had left some time in the early morning. I saw when I had quickly peeked through the curtains. I tiptoed towards the door and looked through the spy. It was Jack. I stood behind the door suddenly too scared to even move. I wasn't sure if I could trust this stranger. No, I felt like I couldn't trust him one bit because if he was as normal as he had appeared yesterday then he wouldn't be here. Because if he was outside during curfew then he wasn't safe out there and he couldn't stand here normal and fine. I was genuinely sure that those screams came from him. Now I was wondering if he was the one causing him. Mrs. Allen, Charlie, hello. I heard him say through the door and then he knocked three times but I still didn't move. I prayed that he would leave so that I could just plan my next steps. It felt ludicrous being this anxious when the street seemed normal just as it did the past days that I was here. But it wasn't. After last night, nothing felt normal anymore, even if the appearance tried to make me believe that it was. I slowly took a step back, fearing that he might hear me breathe, but that was a big mistake because before I could help it, Grandma had appeared and opened the door. It all happened so quickly I didn't even realize that she was standing here. I thought that she was in bed. Good afternoon, dear, she politely said. Good afternoon. He responded and his eyes quickly shifted to me. Are you okay? He carefully asked. I stayed silent. Oh, I didn't know that you were acquainted. How wonderful that you're making some friends, Charlie. Oh, come on in, dear. Let's make some tea. Grandma opened the door wide and then walked towards the kitchen and even had the audacity to wink at me. I couldn't believe her. Did she purposely forget the nightmare that we went through? I was ready to just slam the door shut, but Jack had already made his way inside. It's strange how all the houses look exactly the same on the inside. He laughed, and when his eyes met mine again, 
he suddenly looked a bit more concerned. Are you ill? I was wondering why you didn't show up. Imagine that you had changed your mind or something. I breathed in deeply. I couldn't. The curfew. I said, making sure to closely watch how he would respond. He raised an eyebrow. So you decided to be a law-abiding citizen after all. I clenched my fist. I surely didn't feel like playing this game after the night that I had. Why are you here? I hissed and he seemed a bit taken aback by my sudden anger. Oh, well, well, I was a bit worried when you didn't show up yesterday, but... He paused for a moment. I didn't want to appear to a stalkery, you know. We don't really even know each other after all. So? So, I'm here to check on your grandmother's cameras outside and casually trying to find out if you stood me up on purpose. He nervously laughed. Somehow in this moment, he really did seem genuine. I wanted to believe that this was all normal, but how on earth could he be so oblivious to the situation? Didn't you hear the screaming last night? I asked. He looked confused. Screaming? Yeah, and if you were outside, did nobody try to stop you? Because they certainly made sure that I would stay inside. I raised my voice again. They. The neighbors. The ones from the Scarlet Red House and all their psychotic friends. Oh, he laughed. I see you met Trudy and Harold. I suppose they are a tad eccentric. Eccentric? They didn't leave me all night. Now he was raising an eyebrow again and that reaction was really getting on my nerves. Charlie, is everything okay? He said in a worried tone. Oh, she had a fever last night. My grandmother who appeared behind us with a tray spoke. She mumbled all sorts of nonsense all night. Nightmares, I suppose. No, what happened? They were out there, they... Now both my grandma and Jack had that worried look on their faces. I'm sure something happened, but maybe your mind played some tricks on you, Jack said. Well, why don't you just show her whatever the camera on my lawn had filmed the night before? Possibly that will calm the poor child down. Cameras. It was the first helpful thing that my grandmother said. Looking at the security cameras must have been the most terrifying experience so far. Not because of what we saw, but because of what we didn't. A couple appeared in the frame, Harold and Trudy. They were dressed, and just as I remembered from what I could make out on the screen. However, Trudy was holding something in her hand. A basket of some sort. I didn't remember her carrying anything yesterday, but then again... I was slightly distracted by her face, which seemed to be cracking up. From the view, I could exactly see myself when the door opened. I'm trying to emphasize that it was my face that I saw. Until that point, it all made sense and I felt a shiver only thinking about what would happen next. Except it didn't. Trudy handed me the basket. I smiled. We chatted some more as it seemed and they turned around and laughed. Soon they were out of the picture and clearly not on our lawn with other neighbors gathering. No, there was nobody, even when we fast forwarded the tape. I sat there in shock. It's not possible, I whispered. 
Oh, well, darling, you simply cannot and often should not trust your mind. It's trickery. Jack laughed at what she said, but collected himself quickly. I'm sorry, Charlie. I'm sure it felt very vivid. That can happen with fever dreams. But it's not possible. I muttered it and then with more confidence, I exclaimed. The basket. She never gave me a freaking basket. Oh, honey. Grandma said as she pointed towards the stool next to the bathroom, where of course sat a wooden basket filled with biscuits and a bottle of wine. They really are awfully attentive neighbors, aren't they? Jack gave me a sympathetic smile. Until this point, I thought something was wrong with him. Now he must have been sure that I was the lunatic. And Grandma had just gone to the kitchen as we all forgot that it was dinner time. I, for one, had forgotten all other meals as well, and so she jumped up quickly to scramble something up for me that would hopefully unscramble my mind. If you would like, we could watch some other tapes too, if that would ease your mind. I mean, I'm technically not allowed to, but you seem really worried, Jack said to me. I really didn't trust what I saw on the tape, basket or not. I was sure that Trudy had doctored it in one way or the other. My mind was hazy and slow at that point. I couldn't think for myself anymore. All I wanted was a bit of truth. I suppose that's why I didn't consciously notice the announcement. It almost sounded like some sort of background noise that my mind was blocking out. Attention, attention residents of Sanctuary Hills. Please be aware that the curfew begins in only five minutes. Find your way home swiftly and have a pleasant sanctuary evening inside your homes. But even as tired as I was, it didn't make sense to me how my legs started moving and following this boy to the threshold of the door. And I swear there was a sparkle in his eye when he took my hand and guided me through it. Only the sudden movement and the feeling of pain brought me back to the moment. Grandma had grabbed my arm and a sudden and seldom moment of clarity, and pulled me back inside just in time. I didn't believe her weak arms were capable of it, but it was so hard I thought my arm might dislocate. You will not have my granddaughter killed just so she stays out there with you, forever and ever. She is here to visit and will leave when the time is right, and she will abide by the rules just as I have for the past years. Do you hear me? Grandma was shouting louder than ever before. Jack, seemingly unimpressed, just grinned and turned around. We'll see about that, Abigail. We both know she won't be able to cross that threshold. And with that, he slammed the door shut, but he didn't leave. He stayed right outside. I knew that soon Trudy and Harold and the others would join, but I didn't expect to see their faces glued to our window when I opened the curtain. I jumped back, ignoring the group of neighbors that had gathered. Two groups. The ones that looked old-fashioned and were smiling, just like Trudy and Harold, and the ones that appeared bloodthirsty, just like Jack. Grandma, what the heck? I shouted. She looked genuinely shocked by my sudden outburst. She wasn't used to me getting loud with her. Charlie, she mumbled. I clenched my fists. I was so incredibly angry. 
Although suddenly it made sense that my grandmother never came to visit us, she always had an excuse, like back when Grandpa was alive that he was feeling too sick, or that she had too much in her mind to travel. After a while, Sanctuary Hills traps you in. Why didn't you warn me? Why didn't you tell me to stay away? I collected myself enough to lower my voice, but it surprised me how evil it still sounded. Grandma looked to the ground. She was mumbling something that I couldn't understand. I told you at first not to come, but you insisted. And then the thought was nested into my mind. I couldn't decline. Strangely, this was the first thing she said that actually made sense to me, as I had been corrupted by their doings as well. They have a way to play with your mind, only a bit, but not too much. Not enough to change you entirely. Only so much that you won't doubt. You can control it a bit, at least I can. I stop when their manipulative worms dig in too deep. However, Grandma's mind is not as strong anymore. Not only due to her age. Being here and living here, it gradually changes your interpretation of the surroundings. The longer you stay, the more you interact with the people. The more you become a part of Sanctuary Hills. I've come here before to visit and I left without a scratch, though I did always leave before dark. Grandfather used to insist that the roads get too dangerous at night. They never let me stay past dinner and now it made sense why. I'd been corrupted. By Jack and Harold and Trudy in the streets. By the peculiar food that we buy and consume. By swimming in the pool. Sanctuary Hills is protecting me, but not for my own benefit. It creates its perfect residence, bit by bit. If we don't oblige to the rules, it simply will swallow you as that is the only solution. Jack was helping. Not me, but the neighborhood. Maybe you can leave, but I never will. You see, my love, I don't even want to. Sanctuary Hills has all that I need. I could never go, it would rip my heart out. My grandmother said after a long silence. I didn't understand what exactly she meant by that, but then I looked outside despite not wanting to see the faces of those neighbors ever again, and I saw someone new waving at me. Somebody was standing there and waving and smiling, and while I should have been even more terrified by that figure than by anyone else so far, I somehow felt safe. I somehow felt like I belonged just a tiny bit more. He was dressed very well. His hair was combed and thick and his smile felt truly genuine. Maybe because he hadn't been a part of them for long. And that's when I understood why Grandma felt so safe despite all of this happening here. And why she felt comfortable in Sanctuary Hills. A tear rolled down my face when I saw the man standing close to the uncanny neighbors because he was not like them and I whispered more to myself than to my grandmother who smiled just as warm as he did. Sanctuary Hills had taken over my mind as it does with anyone that stays too long to only be a guest. We all are swallowed by the need for the neighborhood to be perfect and right. There is not one person not a community or a committee deciding on the rules. 
No, uh, they are part of the grounds and the air and the water in this particular place. I haven't quite understood why and when this all started, but I do know that anyone that lives inside the gates does whatever they can to feed it, to make sure that everything here stays the way that it has been. Some do by choice, for others the choice is made. I suppose for the people here, Sanctuary Hills is not a place, it's a religion. They all believe in it, but they have different interpretations about how to do right by their belief. Naturally, they have different approaches to feed the sanctuary. There are the ones that religiously make sure that the number one rule of the curfew is being obeyed, though that is not the only item that they take care of. There are more customs that, to this point, I hadn't met but soon would. And then there are the ones that are trapped, that know of the rules, that possibly broke them and now would not be able to go either way, and so they tricked anyone new that seems to be an easy target. I don't believe their intentions are inherently evil. No, they are simply bored. And boredom can, despite its connotation, be a very dangerous emotion. Harold and Trudy were rule sticklers. Jack was bored. Of course, in this scenario, we have the added factor of Sanctuary Hills scrambling minds. Sometimes a little and often a lot, and therefore it is difficult to say what and who was right without having a neutral or even believable source. Although I did find one person who, as I had mentioned before, should have been scaring me because they were dead. However, I suppose at this point, I hadn't realized that more residents inside these gates were long gone, but their spirits were still going strong. Which takes me back to when I saw him out there on our lawn. My grandpa who used to write me letters and put candies inside the envelope and who would encourage me to do what I needed with my life whenever my parents gave me another hard time, and who I felt so incredibly guilty about for not visiting more, especially when I heard the news that he was now gone. Maybe the guilt is the reason that brought me here. Maybe that's why I didn't think during that particular moment either. Why I didn't use my manipulated mind. No, I mean my conscious one, of course. Was that my own mind making a blanker? Was it Sanctuary Hills? I actually believe it was the first. Well, I did something stupid, I can't deny that. It was just after 9 or 10 maybe. The exact time doesn't matter, but it definitely was dark out and that's what should have stopped me. The sun had disappeared just before the creature had appeared on our lawn, and I opened the door. Charlie! His voice sounded different, or maybe I didn't remember well because the last time that I had heard him, it was only over the phone. I thought that he looked odd. Well, of course he looked odd. He was dead after all, but that's not what he looked like. He was different because of his face. His clothes were the same, well familiar at least, a checkered shirt and brown pants, and colorful dispensers as you don't see them on people often anymore. He waved and another tear rolled down my face. 
My vision was focused only on him and I forgot anyone else around. All the terrifying creatures that I couldn't call a human anymore were gathered out there, all trying to lure me out or force me to stay inside. Listen to your heart. That's what they say. My heart was telling me to run to my grandpa and ask him to make everything okay. I took a step. One step and I swore it was tiny, but technically, I was outside when I wasn't supposed to. Grandpa smiled and I saw Jack move closer and he seemed kind too. That's what should have stopped me, but they didn't. Someone else did. It was Trudy. She had come far too close again. I hadn't noticed because I was distracted by the look of my deceased grandfather on the lawn. But now she was so close to my face that I could feel a cold breath coming from her mouth or maybe from the air. Her eyes were opened wide and while she didn't stop smiling, her face appeared furious. Furious enough to crack even more and almost splinter into a thousand pieces. You are an awfully lot of trouble, young lady, and you better change that sooner than later. She whispered in a high-pitched voice, and then she pushed me with unbelievable strength. The door slammed shut. Trudy was gone, but Harold glued his face back to our window. When I fell back and the door was closed, I suddenly felt a sharp pain. Not from my elbows, which I fell on. They hurt a bit, but not as much as my ankle. When I pulled up my pants, just enough to see what was hurting, I saw the bloody imprint of a hand. I hadn't felt a thing when I was out there. Go away! I cried and shouted towards Harold as I slammed my fist against the window in his distorted face. I didn't want to see him again. I wanted to see my grandfather. Listen to your heart, they say. However, it doesn't really make sense because your emotions are not in your heart. They're in your brain as well. It's all just a trick. I suppose in those tiny moments in which I had a clear thought, there weren't many as my surroundings did their best to scramble them. I felt punches in my gut. The ones that told me, not now. I felt my grandma's breath on my neck and knew that she was thinking of going out there herself, even after seeing my ankle. Maybe, she whispered, they are all out there after all. How dangerous can it be? I understood her logic. It seemed perfectly understandable because it wasn't intrusive. The intrusive thought was the one telling us to stay inside. We simply weren't quite sure which one to listen to as neither seemed to be our own. One voice came from the inside. It was the sanctuary telling us to stick to what we ought to. But then there were the outside voices mocking our fear and telling us to come play. He wouldn't do that to us though, would he? No, certainly not. He was a kind man with a warm heart that now has turned cold. He would protect us, cold or not, Grandma said. I suppose deep inside she knew the truth. She knew, but she didn't mind a little lie as long as she could still see him from time to time. It was what made Sanctuary Hills her place. 
even if it was fake. Even if that man out there wasn't Grandpa, and not his ghost either, the man out there in fact wasn't a man. Like the basket and the pictures from the cameras, he wasn't right. He wasn't there. They wanted to lure us out to our demise. Alright, Grandma, what do we do? Oh, honey, there is only one answer to this question at this particular time of night. We keep our doors shut and go to bed. Tiny twitches and micro-expressions showed me that she was still inside that shell. That sanctuary hadn't consumed her entirely. In the morning, I spent another hour or two making phone calls, but hearing the voices of my loved ones saying only nonsense and wrong things tore me apart even more. The only thing they listened to and responded to normally was the question of whether they should come visit. And I always said no, not until I knew what fate they might meet inside the gates if the neighbors found out. I could already picture Jack licking his lips on the prospect of fresh blood and corruptible minds. All right, hon, I'm off to the market. Do you need anything? Grandma called out from the hallway. For a split second, I wondered if everything was normal and I was the weird one. She said it so casually as if the past nights and days didn't happen. I jumped out of bed and ran towards the door where Grandma was putting on her coat. You are what? I shrieked. Sweetie, are you alright? Do you want me to pick up some medicine or possibly some fresh ginger and lemon? That always makes me feel just great. You're going outside? Why yes, it's the middle of the day, you silly goose. Why wouldn't and by the pale look in your skin? I would suggest you get some of those rays of sun on it yourself. My gaze shifted towards the window when I saw the lawn, all green and pretty. The sun was shining. It was a beautiful day. Perfect weather for the pool. Grandma smiled and then she left before I could stop her. Everything was normal. It always was normal when it was day. Not entirely normal as it is in other places, but normal enough for sanctuary hills. The postman was filling the peculiar mailboxes. Children were playing hopscotch. Garbage was being collected. I decided to get dressed and go to the market as well. One, because I didn't like the thought of Grandma alone. And two, because on my way, I could also check the gate with the security guard out front to see what an escape might look like and if I would even need one in the middle of the day before the curfew begins. Maybe I could somehow go and get help or make a plan to free Grandma before my mind is taken over by the neighborhood. And Grandma was long gone, so I had to get dressed quickly and hurry to meet her there before she went someplace else. She didn't even ask if I wanted to come along. On my way out of the door, I found a card. I had received a few ones like this before, but unusually, I just pinned them to the fridge to forget about them. It was another invitation. Dearest neighbors Abigail and Charlotte, what a pleasant weekend for a lovely midday barbecue in our greenest garden. Yes, you are thinking right. We would like to invite you to another party tomorrow at 2pm sharp. 
We know that it's very last minute, but we do like to be spontaneous. Make sure to be on time because, as you know, time is scarce. You may bring your swimsuit, but that's up to you. Besides bringing good fun, a dish of your choice would be swell. See you tomorrow. Certainly not possibly. Trisha, Tony, and Trina. I stuffed the card in my pocket and made my way to the market. The letter distracted me enough so that I left the doorstep without hesitation. I had been afraid of the thought before, but now I was outside and it seemed alright. I ran all the way to the market and on my way, I could swear that I saw Jack sitting on a porch, winking at me and grinning, but I ignored him and ran even faster until I made it to the marketplace. I had never seen the market before. It was like a farmer's market with fresh produce being sold as well as little whimsical products. From further away it looked really nice and inviting but that was just from the outside. As soon as I stepped inside the marketplace everything appeared just a little wrong, as it does in Sanctuary Hills, and the longer that I stayed the more the little wrong turned into horribly frightening. I recognized a few faces from around the neighborhood, but nobody who I had ever talked to. I've never exactly been the kind of person to talk to neighbors much and after this experience. I don't think I ever will be. I kept my eyes open for grandma, but couldn't spot her anywhere, so I decided to stroll through the narrow passages. From far away, it appeared as if there was a dozen stalls and tops. Now that I had actually walked inside the first passage, it changed entirely. Everything did. There were many people, goods, stalls, and games. Almost like a beautiful oriental market with lots of colors and products, but it couldn't in any way be possible. I had just entered a labyrinth with fragrances and images too sharp to be real. In all its wrongness, however, it was perfectly right. A perfect market would suit a perfect neighborhood. And if the space wasn't big enough, then that fact would simply be changed. Perfectly reasonable for these sanctuary logic. I walked towards the stall with the most delicious scent that I had ever smelled in my life. It reminded me of the days in the kitchen with my mother when we would bake and cook all day before Christmas. Only as I got closer, I realized what it was that smelled so dangerously delicious. It was coming from a booth where a man sold jars filled with something that I couldn't recognize from far away. I only followed my nose and not my eyes, but I should have focused on the latter. I truly should have, but I didn't because my mind was on the sanctuary autopilot again. Standing in front of the booth, I didn't look at the man but only at his products. I didn't know what was inside of these jars. Cinnamon, I whispered. It was the smell of cinnamon except even sweeter and more intense. Mm, delicious, isn't it? The sweet smell of death. I looked up towards the man who was dressed in a suit which didn't fit the market one bit. Excuse me? I asked. Mm, the smell. We collect our items from a very special place you see. He winked. A special place, a different place. Have you left Sanctuary Hills and if you did, can you tell me how? I spoke without taking a breath. He didn't answer that question. Instead, he said, 
and open a jar and your eyes will see what's inside, doll. I hesitated for a second, but then opened the jar. Even though it was made out of glass, I didn't see what was inside from the outside, but when the lid opened, I dropped the jar right to the floor. It was filled with eyes. Human eyes stuffed inside to the top. You dropped it. How silly of you. I, what? I muttered. Oh, it's okay. You can pay me back. He said with his eyes wide open. Come back tonight and you can pay. He reached for my arm, but I pulled away just in time and tried running away. I stumbled into too many people. Some apologized as if it was their fault and others whispered as they saw me, but I couldn't look at them. I had to get out. I just didn't know which way to go. I swallowed and kept going until I finally saw her. Grandma! I cried and hugged her from behind. She stood in front of a stall selling jewelry. Charlie, oh honey, how distressed you look. Are you alright, my sweet child? Oh, she does look awfully distressed but so very pretty. Is she your daughter? The girl behind the table asked. She was young, possibly my age, but her clothes looked more like the ones of a housewife from the 1950s. Her caramel hair was curled up perfectly, and her cheeks and lips were rose red. Grandma giggled. Oh, Darla, you make me blush. Now this is my granddaughter. I've wanted to introduce you. Either way, she's so lonely here being young and new. New? A new voice said, a male voice. He had appeared from the side. I hadn't noticed him before. He had the same color hair as Darla, but his clothes were far more normal. Grandma, please, let's go home, I whispered. I wasn't ready for meeting new, crazy people. Oh, Daniel, don't be rude and introduce yourself first. And also, I tell you all the time, use entire sentences. Now, she was looking at Grandma and shook her head. I tell him all the time. She turned her head towards me and held out her hand. I'm Darla and this is my twin brother, Daniel. I didn't shake her hand. Are you going to ask me to come outside after curfew? I asked. Never. Darla called out, seemingly shocked. Good neighbors obey the curfew. She said in unison with my grandma. I took a step back. I'm sorry, love. I should take Charlie home. She hasn't been feeling too well these past few days, you see. Will we see you tomorrow? Darla asked with big eyes. I always hope for friends my age at the garden parties, you see. She smiled and her eye twitched a little. Yes, please come, you must. Her brother, who had been silent so far, added. He didn't smile and he didn't twitch, but he put much emphasis on the last word. He seemed the most normal, but so had Jack. I didn't trust the neighbors one bit. I couldn't care less about some barbecue. I wanted to take Grandma home and hide inside before these speakers started blasting the curfew call. The whole day had passed, breakfast, the market, meeting the twins, dinner. My mission this morning was to get to the gate, to the entrance or preferably the exit. It was there in the back of my mind the whole time and still I didn't move close to the gate even once. 
as if I had forgotten, but how could I forget the most logical thing to do? There is no way that I would have just forgotten about that. The sanctuary didn't want me to take action. It doesn't want me to leave and so it makes me forget. With a little help from the neighbors. A big thanks to our sponsor, Morgan & Morgan. Recently, a close friend of mine was involved in a serious car accident. It was a devastating experience that left them with injuries and mounting medical bills. But what surprised me even more was the struggle to get the compensation that he deserved. That's when I realized the importance of having the right legal support. Morgan & Morgan is America's largest injury law firm has over 100 offices nationwide and a team of more than 800 lawyers ready to fight for you. With over $15 billion recovered for their clients, they have a proven track record of securing full and fair compensation. But what truly sets Morgan & Morgan apart is how easy they make the entire process. It's not like the traditional image of hiring a lawyer. It's as simple as using an app or ordering takeout. With only a few clicks, you can submit your injury claim from the comfort of your couch. No more hassle, no more stress. And remember, if you ever find yourself injured or in need of legal support, check out Morgan & Morgan. Their fee is free unless they win, ensuring that you can access the justice that you deserve without any upfront costs. For more information, visit ForThePeople.com slash MrCreeps or dial pound law, that's pound 529 from your cell phone. Again, that's for thepeople.com slash Mr. Creeps, or pound law, pound 529 from your cell. This is a paid advertisement. How to escape a haunted house? Just follow this list of rules. Written by Alan Wilson. The tall, skinny man approached with slow steps. My friends and I could barely hold our laughter. That's a funny way of dressing, mister. Are you at the circus in town? Do you know any magic tricks? Eddie said, snorting. He liked joking around a lot. The man's uncanny appearance made him look like one of those people who sell you fake lottery tickets or revolutionary air conditioners that you could fit in your pocket. He wore a double-breasted black and red pinstripe suit with a black satin tie. His smile looked deceiving and his eyes held thousands of secrets. He had a fancy old walking cane with a golden lion head as a handle. The gravel crushed under his black leather shoes. His black top hat absorbed the sunlight, adding even more to his mysterious aura. Hi there, kids. Well, you are right, young Edward. You are very right. I used to work for a circus a long time ago, but now I decided to venture into a solo business. The man said in a low-pitched voice, Please, allow me to introduce myself. Name's Edgar Verlis, at your service, the odd man said. He took a bow before us in slow motion, the tune of his creaking bones made me uneasy. How do you know my name? Eddie said, rising from his sitting position. 
At that point, I felt a tingling sensation crawl up my spine. We glanced at each other as tension built up in the air. Whoa there, easy now, and don't be afraid. I am a magician after all. That's how I know your names. And what I also know is that magic is real. Would you like to see a trick? Yes, I do. Can you magically make a bunny appear? Cassandra said, clapping her hands. Oh, aren't you a bunch of lovely kids? Edgar said, mimicking Cassandra's gesture. I have something even better than a bunny, Cassandra. How about 100 for each of you if you let me give you a tour of my haunted house? What do you say? Well, now you're talking, Mr. Verlis, said Vince. He snorted and spat on the ground. You have a haunted house. Is it a rigged one or the real deal? I'll let you kids decide. All you have to do is stay inside for one night. If you all get out, you'll get 1,000 each. I think you can imagine that it will not be an easy task, and there will be a lot of hard challenges that you must pass, Verlis said, producing a large silver key from his right side pocket. I mean, all that money could do us good, guys. I said while looking after the key that he waved around in the cool autumn air. Indeed, it could help you buy that console that you've always wanted, Henry. Plus some extra games, right? Besides, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. My house isn't open to the public, and admission is by invitation only. I moved it around the country all year trying to find the bravest children. I'm hoping I'm not wrong when I say that you are brave, yes. The thin man said, now holding the key before my eyes. The way that he said all of our names felt very unsettling. Something about this man made me uncomfortable, but it felt like a kick in our pride if we had said no to his challenge. Of course, you're not wrong. We aren't afraid of anything, said Emma, putting her phone in her back pocket. I didn't expect less of you, brave young kids. Can I say, Emma, that I love how you dyed your hair? All those rainbow colors look stunning, Verlis said, grinning. That felt awkward and cringy. Thanks, I guess, she replied. Can I ask, how do you move your house around the country? Seems a difficult process to do that, said David, flicking a cigarette butt. Stop littering, David, cried Emma, picking up the butt and handing it back to him. Sorry, I forget sometimes. Lucky me that you're the voice of reason. He replied, rolling his eyes ironically. Can we go home now? I don't like this guy. Screw his money. Come on, dude. It's going to be fun. Emma replied. David puffed, rolling his eyes again. To answer your question, David, the house floats around the country. I move it around using magic and... It can appear wherever I want it to. I call it the floating house. Its residents always like it when they see a new place, such as your beautiful little town, Vertha said. I swear this is the most awkward advertisement pitch if I've ever heard one, said Eddie, irritated. You expect us to believe you. Smells like BS to me, and guess what? 
no matter how much gold you put on it, it still smells. Averlis said that he didn't expect us to believe him. He still handed us the $100 bills and told us to be at the clearing in the woods at midnight sharp. That's where the house will be. I'm sure you know there was nothing there until a few days ago. If you see the house, you will know I mean business. After all, you kids are brave and like challenges. It's all fun and games and you get to win a lot of money. Verlis said as he handed me the key. He told me to take it and use it to open the front door. And then he told us that inside, we would find a list of strict rules that we had to follow during our stay in the house. Under no circumstances would we deviate from them. And you expect one or some of us would be stupid enough and break the rules, and then we would fail the challenge. I've seen many movies and read many books and I know that you're safe if you follow the rules. If not, then you're dead meat. Said Vince, checking to see if the $100 bill was real. Seems legit. Alright children, I think you have had enough of me for now. How about seeing each other at the end of this haunted house adventure? I'll be waiting for you with open arms and $1,000 each. Verlis exclaimed, rubbing his hands together. Can you show us a bit of magic so we know that you're not a fraud? Inquired David, calm and collected as a sniper on the battlefield. Why, of course I can, David. How about you think of a number between 1 and 10,000? You can even whisper it to some of your friends here before I say it. Verlis said, turning his back. Let me know when you're ready, Dave. I'll even cover my ears. David gathered everybody in a circle and we sat as if in a rugby scrum. Alright, boys and girls, let's send this idiot home. I'm thinking of the number 7,256. It's as random as I can make it. He can't guess it, right? He whispered. Yeah, not a chance, man, Vince replied. We broke the circle and David told Verlis that he had picked a number. Alright, young man, your face looks full of determination and discipline, and I'm sure you think you made this a hard guess for me, but I can assure you that that is not the case, as I always get these things right. Call me a mind reader, call me a magician, call me the devil or just a lucky man, but... I know that your number is 7,256. Verlis said and that poisonous grin appeared on his face again. How the... David didn't get to finish his sentence. He stood there frozen in disbelief. Your favorite food is pizza and your favorite color is blue. Three years ago you got stung by a bee and almost died from shock. Luckily, you got administered a shot and Dr. Meadows saved your life. Cassandra, your grandfather, built this town and made it flourish and become the diamond it is today. I could go on forever talking about everything, but you might just get bored. I could show you a card trick, make pigeons appear from thin air, and I could change the weather. You think of a thing that seems impossible and I can do it. Verthus said, rolling his eyes. I felt all blood drain from my face in the air bore a grave-like silence. The more that I looked at him talking, the dizzier that I got. The whole world spun around me, and I prayed for the moment when he would go away and he would leave us alone. 
yet I felt like we had no choice but to do what he said. In a way, we felt his enormous power even though we only used a fraction of it to control our minds, answers, and decisions. His hypnotic stare, the way that he articulated some words, and how he persuaded us to go and take a tour of his haunted house, spoke volumes about how vicious he was. I felt in the depths of my soul that he was much more than the eye met. He waved goodbye and told us to arrive on time, which meant not a second later than midnight. We all watched him getting smaller and smaller until he finally went out of view on the winding roads. Did you guys feel it too? The way that he made us listen to every word he said. Dang it, now I have a huge headache. David said, massaging his temples. Yeah, it's like he held us captive in some invisible shackles and he played with our minds, Emma said, her hands shaking uncontrollably. I'm scared, guys. I'm terrified to go into that place. I am too, but I don't think we have a choice now, do we? We took his money, or better said, he made us take his money, and now we have to play his game. I can't imagine what it'll do to us if we don't hold up our end of the deal, said Cassandra. Yeah, dang it, it looks like we have no other choice than to go. I said, biting my nails as I felt my heart, falling into the claws of absolute dread. We didn't say much on our way home. Maybe it was out of fear. Maybe Verlis did something to our minds. His infectious grin poisoned the back of my head. It plastered itself there like growing cancer, ever expanding and corrupting everything in its wake. The hours passed and midnight came closer. We all snuck out and met at the last street before the wood started. The silence of the night felt heavy on our shoulders. I didn't know what to expect when we got there, knowing that it was too late to back down. I told everybody not to fear anything and to be brave. I thought of Verlis's words, saying that he needed brave kids for this challenge. Maybe those words had a secret meaning behind them. The trees loomed over us, offering us safe passage and shielding us from the beasts that haunt our world during nights like this. An owl hooted in the distance, and a swarm of crows cawed as they flew from the trees. Maybe they warned us that it was not too late and that we should go back. Dang it, we should have hired a TV crew to follow us around. This adventure has all the ingredients to become a series or a movie. I mean, it's perfectly laid out in front of us, Vince said, checking his phone. We still have 20 minutes left and should see the clearing quickly. Well, there's a lot more until the adventure ends. It hasn't even begun, Vince. I'm curious about what the house looks like, Cassandra said, imitating a ghost. We all chuckled and continued walking through the night's deep and dark vastness, greeted by a dense fog that smelled like petrichor and sweet rose jam. We set eyes on Verlis's old and diseased house. The house, old and creaky, stood approximately two feet above the ground, floating as if controlled by an invisible and evil force. It creaked from all its joints, nooks, and crannies, the windows dimly illuminated by sick yellow lights. 
They seemed to grow in intensity as we approached the ancient wooden building. It swayed to and fro as gently as a feather carried away by gusts of wind. We felt its magnificent force, our hearts getting heavier by the minute. A maelstrom of fear and insecurity took shape inside my mind, twisting and turning endlessly and taking away whatever courage that I had left. We're going in to die, David said dramatically. I didn't know if he meant to say that out loud. It felt more like a monologue. Uh, sorry about that. I don't know what's gotten into me. He glanced at me, his eyes shining with terror and disgust. Yet we all knew that we couldn't go back. The money that Verlis gave us meant that we had a binding contract with him. Who knew what this peculiar man's actions would be if we had turned back and walked away? Do you guys feel it too? Cassandra asked placing the right hand over her heart. This house, it senses that we're here. It feeds on our fear. I can feel my heart beating faster than it ever had. A black fog enveloped the house, and a loud metallic noise made our bodies tremble. I twisted the key in the lock, and a melody introduced us to our unforgettable adventure. We hurried inside as if pushed by the dark clouds above our heads. The air outside as smelled like a storm would soon arrive, and we would be safer inside the house, or so the house wanted us to believe. Inside, a giant chandelier hung from the ceiling and dimly illuminated the old walls, a sickly pale and feverish yellow hue that hurt her eyes, while flickering and buzzing as if sending a secret Morse code messages. Wood cracked in the fireplace and as such it sent shadows on the walls that danced like black little and deceiving devils. Jasmine, lemon, and chamomile fragrances spread throughout the ancient mansion. It reminded me of the tea my grandmother made in childhood whenever I had a cold. It smells beautiful in here. All these paintings, the mahogany furniture, and the grand chandelier are mesmerizing. This for this guy has great taste. Emma exclaimed, her eyes filled with wonder. I gotta admit it myself, this place looks like it was taken right out of a book, said Vance. He looked at the long dark corridor at his left where a door creaked. Did you guys hear that? We all nodded as the rising tension made our shrinking hearts beat faster. Wasn't there supposed to be a list of rules here? Asked Cassandra. Silence settled all around us as the door creaked again. We glanced at it and saw that it had opened. The corridor seemed even longer now. With bated breath, we moved toward that door. I suppose we'll find it in there said David, pointing at the half-open door. Moving towards the door, passing small windows to our left and even smaller paintings to the wall on our right, I thought about how we had ended up in this situation. Have we chosen to come here, or did Verlis persuade us to and as such, satisfy his hunger for whatever game he wanted to play here? Vince opened the door and saw a skeletal figure pointing at us. A demented, evil laugh filled every inch of the house. 
Fear crawled up my spine and Emma screamed and hugged Cassandra. David froze in place while Eddie's face went pale all of a sudden, his blood all but draining from it. Vince had been the only one who didn't even flinch. Ah, screw this old guy and his stupid antics, Vince said, flipping the lights on. I ain't scared of your stuff for less. Is everyone good? One of the skeletons used in biology classes stood before us, his plastic bones all yellowed with age. He held a red crumpled paper in his right hand while his left pointed at us as if telling us to take it. I'm okay, even though I almost had a heart attack, said Emma, panting. Guess we found his BS list of rules here. I'll take it, I said. I grabbed the red paper and unwrapped it and read it out loud for all my friends to hear. Welcome to the floating house. I very much hope that you enjoy your stay with us. Please read the rules of this house. If you follow them accordingly, you will get to the end of your adventure safe and sound. Even better, you'll each win $1,000. 1. If you see the red door and hear knocks from the other side, do not open it. 2. If you meet a bald, big, strange fellow with an orange beard who wants to offer you gold coins, you must be careful. He seems peaceful, but that could not be further from the truth. He will tell you a riddle, and if you do not know the answer, he'll pluck all your fingernails and eat them. 3. If you encounter a black door with a golden knob, you must all knock on it. When it opens, you have to go in and stay inside the pitch black darkness for just one minute. Once the alarm rings, you'll find yourselves back where you last were. 4. Room 33 is where you can rest for a few moments. This is the safe room. You will not be harmed in here. The lady in red playing the violin will help you regain your strength and heal any wounds that you might have. Listen to her full song. 5. Do not touch the Harlequin dolls in the circus room. If you do, they will come to life and laugh into your ears until your head explodes. 6. You will arrive in the room with clocks. There is a silver key there which you can buy from the clockmaster with coins from Redbeard. If you do not have said coins, you must offer him a personal thing. Personal as in a strand of hair, a finger, an eye, your tongue. You get the idea. You will need the key to unlock the exit door. 7. Beware the uninvited guest. There will be a person who will join the group and you will not even realize it. I don't even know who they are. I mean, this is my house too. They've been here for 250 years and I can't find them. If you see them and manage to trap them, I will ensure your reward is a thing out of this world. 8. If you find a harmonica, you need to play it. The musical notes will lead you to the golden door, which holds secrets that will change your life forever. This never happened to anyone in the history of this house. So it's almost impossible to happen to you, but I had to tell you this. 9. A woman made of spiders roams the halls of this house. 
If you see her, do not engage. Walk past her, do not make contact. If she smells your fear, it's already too late. So do not be afraid if you see her, or you will die. 10. The room with crystals appears at random. Inside, you will find a piece of paper with the last rule of this game. You must follow the rules only if they apply to the situation. Some of the rules stated in this list might not happen. Last but not least, I wish you all good luck. I will be waiting for you at the end of this journey. I expect you all to live and stay, let's say, intact. Good luck. Yours truly, Edgar Verlis. Yeah, screw this, said Vince. These rules seem kind of friendly, which is totally BS. We all know how Verlis is because we saw him. He has that devilish grin. Do you guys remember when he almost took control of our minds? Remember when we looked into his eyes and saw that behind those pupils was a deep black, infinite void ready to consume everything in its wake. Yeah, I saw it, but I don't think we could have done anything about it. I don't think it was even our decision to be here. He wanted us to play, so he got us to play this stupid game. We must gather our marbles, stay safe, and focus on getting out of here alive. The most important thing is to stay together and not lose sight of one another. I replied. Verlis might as well have been the devil himself. He might have been a long-forgotten god who returned triumphantly to Earth to wreak havoc and destroy humanity. I didn't know what or who the heck he was. All I know was that he wasn't from this place. He had great powers, knew many secrets, and he could twist your mind into doing his bidding. Better to listen to him than to die. Or worse. By God, we had to get out of this cursed house. The long corridors, the ugly chandeliers, the screechy sounds, and the grotesque paintings of deformed people who looked at us with prying and hateful eyes made my stomach twist into knots. Dolls creep me the heck out, ugh. Cassandra screamed out of nowhere. They give me the heebie-jeebies. It's alright, Cass. We won't touch them if we see them, David said. Hey guys, you know that I love you alright. We need to be extra careful in this house because nothing is what it seems. Let's just play the game by Verlis's rules. I'll read them a lot again and whenever we have doubts, we just pull the paper out and reread them just to make sure. Aight, Vince said. We nodded and listened to each rule again. You take it, Henry, Vince said, handing me the paper. Oh, now what? asked Eddie. That's a good question, I replied. As far as this game went, we were inside the house, we had the rules, but we had no idea what we needed to do. We inspected the surroundings for anything that might have been useful to our little horror adventure. An adventure that could claim our very lives. Maybe that house needed sustenance and only ate children and their souls and brains, and we would be trapped there forever like ghosts without purpose. What are we supposed to do, Verlis? David cried. You think this is fun, don't you? You like scaring children, huh? Whoa, easy, Dave. Take it easy, man. It's gonna be alright. If we follow the rules, we'll survive this place, Eddie said. Stop it, please, Emma whispered. 
maybe this is what he wants. Maybe he wants us to stress out and be afraid so that we'll mess up. That's a good point, I concurred. Let's calm down, people, I said. I looked everybody dead in the eye, trying to assure them mentally that it would all be okay, even though I was scared out of my wits. The floating house tour begins now. Thank you for being here. A voice said from these speakers above the large stairs that led to the first floor. A big letter X came alive right under those speakers. Max marks the spot right, Cassandra said. Let's all go there. When we climbed the stairs and saw the red door, a collective gasp escaped our mouths and we became statues frozen in time and place. A violent series of knocks and aggressive poundings came from the other side of the door, and words soon followed. Let us out, please. He's not who he says he is. A cacophony of young voices cried. Wait, don't say anything, I whispered. The first rule didn't say anything about voices, did it? I pulled the paper out just to make sure. I nodded to reinforce the last sentence. Now let's ignore it and move on. Maybe whatever's on the other side, it might kill or drive us insane. Let's stay focused on the task at hand, Vince said. Screw what's on the other side, I don't care. Please, we know things. We stood where you stand. We were once children too, like you. Now we can't leave this place. Henry. They said again, a choir of ghostly voices calling my name. I felt my legs turn into concrete. Henry, don't let him get in your head, man. David said, squeezing my shoulder. Open the door, Henry. I miss you, son. I miss you so much. It's cold and dark here. Please, we can be together again. A wave of emotion washed over me as I heard my dead father's voice. He had passed away three years ago, and I remembered his smile immediately. Thousands of memories went through my mind like strips of film in an old and dusty cinema theater. My whole world came crashing down inside and around me as I wanted this to be true but I knew that it wasn't. Verlis and his disgusting house like to feed on pain. He gave me the best advice. Son, always trust your gut. If something's too good to be true, it's probably not. I knew that the house wanted to play tricks on me. It made me hear and remember the person that I missed the most. Even though a tidal wave of sadness washed over me, I kept my composure strong and didn't buy the house's twisted plan for us. I sighed and swallowed the bitter sorrow I felt at that moment. The only sure thing was that my dad had been gone for a few years, buried six feet under, and probably was only bones now. I wiped the tears from my face and didn't say a word. I passed the door and motioned everyone to follow me. When I looked back, the door had vanished. Sorry guys, I need a minute or two. This felt so real. Verlis, he likes to feed on our sadness and fear, huh? I sighed. We need to get out of here fast. I sat on the floor and thought about the whole situation for a moment. Why us? I mean, why did he target us? Had he felt a strong connection between all of us? 
doesn't he like true friendship? I kept staring down the long corridor of the first floor. It seemed to be infinite, stretching into nothingness. The silence that surrounded us was grave-like. It was as if tiny evil monsters lurked in the shadows or behind furniture, waiting to see what plan we had devised or if we would go completely and utterly insane. On the left side of the door, a light bulb came to life. Its dim pale bluish hue illuminated an ordinary door. But that wasn't all. On the floor, right in front of the door, was a small box with a harlequin head drawn on it. A small handle on one side began slowly rotating, and a creepy tune began playing. A jack-in-the-box. Um, I absolutely hate that song. My brother used to stand at my door in the middle of the night humming that song. I always thought that the devil came to my door, right until he told me that he just liked messing with me. What a prick, right? David said. He clenched his fists and beads of sweat rolled down his temples. For a moment, he found himself gritting his teeth like he was five years old again, hiding under the blanket from whatever was outside of his room. Yeah, that sucks. That stays with you even after you know the truth, Vince replied. The music stopped and a harlequin hat popped up from the box. It extended his right hand with its index finger pointing to the door. I'm pretty sure Verlis wants us to have a mini heart attack as we progress this thing. Emma said as she looked at the creepy thing. Not kill us, but scare us whenever he gets the chance. I guess so, huh? He's been doing that since we met him. Cassandra replied. Also, he messed with Henry's mind. Now look at Dave. He's as white as chalk dust. I think that he may have something ready for everyone. We must remind ourselves that whenever something here personally targets us, it's not personal. It's just something Verlis is doing to feed his twisted sense of humor, or maybe to feed on our fear, Vince said. A collective, mm-hmm, broke out, followed by everyone nodding their heads. The door opened as the jack-in-the-box caught on fire and exploded into fireworks. Colors floated in the air like fireflies. They seemed to have no direction until letters took form saying, Enter. A large room filled with porcelain dolls, plushies, life-sized clown puppets, and harlequins greeted us. They all looked at us like we were intruders. At the other end of the room, there is another door with a neon exit sign above. What's the rule saying, boss? Vince said. Rule number five. Do not touch the Harlequin dolls in the circus room. If you do, they will come to life and laugh into your ears until your head explodes. Right. So, screw the Harlequins. We can touch the bears, puppies, clowns, and the creepy porcelain dolls that look like they could eat my heart in under a second, right? Vince laughed nervously. Right. Who the heck knows anymore? Let's head for the exit and keep our eyes open and ears sharp. Dave and I will lead. Cass and Emma, you stay in the middle then Vince with Eddie at the back. Sounds cool, I said. I feel like we're being watched big time. Emotions were high and fear was the same, but we all looked at each other and nodded in approval. 
Steady, let's roll. Slowly, then said. A slow creaking sound behind us. What was that? Eddie said. Cassandra was the first to turn around and see a three-foot-tall mechanical harlequin standing right behind us. The heck is that? Vince asked. Um, a harlequin, Cassandra replied. Not the time, Cass, I replied. Like the door, that thing came out of nowhere with a huge grin plastered on its face and big eyes that rotated to and fro. Uh, I'm starting to feel dizzy, David said. That thing is staring right at me. Run for the exit now, Vince exclaimed. Don't look back. Go. All around us, the doll's gaze fixated on us. An ungodly number of harlequins popped up out of nowhere. The one behind us began walking like a robot, trying to catch all or just one of us. For half a second, I glanced back, afraid that the thing might hypnotize me. I only saw its opened mouth with two sets of long, sharp teeth. It squinted its eyes in anger, seemingly hungry and unwilling to waste one more second. All the harlequins came to life and some even had lights in their eyes. After running tirelessly for what seemed an eternity, a creepy nursery rhyme came to life right when we had reached the door. It was a twisted version of Pop Goes the Weasel tailored for us and the situation. All around the circus room, the children screamed in horror, ready to be tortured and consumed. Pop, go the children. The Harlequin is hungry now. It wants to eat your flesh and soul. Don't breathe, don't blink or else you'll die. Pop, go the children. The song came from inside of the Harlequin. I think Verlis had placed a tape there because it sounded pre-recorded. The Harlequin let out a demonic laugh and the song played again. This time it slowed midway. The Harlequin stopped as if it had batteries that just went dead. Done. Let's go, David said. Let's get out of here. David had managed to open the door at last. It all ended with the same song. We all went through and the door closed. In the red paint, the words, Are you scared yet? dripped on the door. That was a close call. I thought that I'd have nightmares about that Harlequin's face for years to come. I need my inhaler. This is too much, Emma said. It's okay, Em. Take your time. There's no way that I'll let anything happen to you. I swear on my mother's life. I'll die before something bad happens to you, Finn said. Thanks, Vince. You're my hero. Emma replied and proceeded to high-five Vince. Right I am, he assured her. Another close call. Wait, where are we now? This is like the opposite of the luxurious yet creepy main entrance. Cassandra said. We all turned and looked around. The wallpapers on the walls had peeled off from the passing of time and cockroaches roamed free in all directions. Broken chairs, a dusty table, and a moldy sofa lay scattered as if an angry person had violently thrown them around. Cobwebs spread out through the room like a virus and an occasional fly got stuck in the sticky threads. The air smelled like dead animals on the side of the road on a hot summer day. 
A rat gave its last breath in the far corner of the room. One last twitch of the leg and it was gone. Dead as disco. But there looked something in the shadows. A wheezing sound came from the dark. A thin sickly arm extended to grab the rat under the moonlight from a broken window on the far right end of the room. The skin was colored a dark and sickly green, with gangrenous black spots. The black nails on the long thin fingers almost fell off from the rotten flesh. Swiftly it pulled the rat back into the darkness. I could hear how the animal's bones broke and the flesh tore apart. Whatever body that hand was attached to it was ravenous. We all gagged at the sound of slurping and chewing. The chomping came to a halt. Don't move an inch, I whispered. I think I know what this is, Emma whispered. Two small red lights blinked in the darkness, and they moved forward slowly and steady. Tiny spiders came forward. Crap, the woman made of spiders. It's like we don't have time to catch our breath, said Vince. Alright, don't be scared. If I remember correctly, it says to walk right past her. He turned back to look at me and I nodded. A woman covered in a dark green goo stepped out in the moonlight. Spiders crawled on her, getting into her mouth, nose, and ears. She wanted to speak, but only a soft wheezing came out. I couldn't understand any of the words. Wam, wama. She said, her cracked lips barely touching each other. Behind two small spider webs, her red eyes glistened, illuminating the whole room. Spiders burst her lip open and came out in big numbers. The few strands of her hair on her head resembled strings of decaying cotton. What is she trying to say? Cassandra asked. Is she going to move? Wait, look behind her. There's a door, Eddie said. The number 33 was written on a small black patch with gold foil stamping. My children, the woman said out of nowhere. You are my children. The spiders came out of her mouth in rivers, splashing on the rotten floor like a waterfall. The green, red, purple, blue, and black spiders came toward us with flashing speed. Stay put, don't get scared, please. Vince screamed. Walk through them and past the old hag. Let's get to safety. We're all tired and could use a minute's rest, David said. The spiders marched forward as if going to war with humankind. We all began ambling, crunching them under our sneakers. The woman slowly turned her head as we walked past her. Smack them if they crawl on you, Vince cried. Emma opened and twisted the knob and we entered room 33. I don't think I'll sleep for the next five years, Emma said, panting. It's good that we kept our composure and didn't get scared. Or maybe we were scared but didn't show it. Are you kidding me? I was scared out of my mind but I knew I'd be dead meat if that old hag sensed it. Vince said, panting. He lay down for a bit. The light in the room flicked open. A small theater-like stage with red velvet curtains now appeared in front of us. Six red velvet chairs with our names sewn with white thread stood before the stage. 
please have a seat on the designated chairs. The private concert of our Romanian violin prodigy, Elenica Aran, will commence shortly. Please turn off your mobile devices and enjoy this rare show. A woman's voice said from two speakers above the stage. We all sat down and turned off our phones as instructed. A gong sound made the room tremble. A few moments of silence followed. A thin man appeared and pulled the curtains to reveal the stage. An angelic, tall, blonde-haired woman dressed in a red dress stood on a chair with a violin between the side of her jaw and collarbone. Tears rolled down her face as the moment that she began playing. It was the most beautiful tune that I had ever heard. She cried too, rivers of tears slowly rolling down her cheeks and landing on the violin. She wore high-heeled shoes that shined as if made from crystalline diamonds. Rainbow colors illuminated the room. It was as if the instrument fed on her tears to play that song. My heart beat faster and I saw my friends couldn't move either. The violin song mesmerized us. Hypnotic in her playing, Enlika Aaron cried until their tears turned red. Blood now came from her eyes and it dripped on the violin. This felt wrong. Verlis used her for his own devices to once again satisfy his immense hunger by hurting people, by making them feel sad. The violin grew sharp spines that poked through the woman's fingers as blood fell on the wood. Now each drop of blood bloomed into a dark crimson rose until it covered the sides of the violin. The bow slowly swayed to and fro on the string, up and down, up and down. A myriad of feelings coursed through my body. I felt happy, sad, energized, and tired at the same time. I remembered my dad's laugh. He always encouraged me to be my best self. Elenka finished playing. She had two dark, black-red lines in her face and her eyes were the saddest thing that I had ever seen. The hand holding the violin was bloody too. The rose withered and fell off the instrument. She took a bow, a door opened behind her. You were brilliant. A few more performances like this and you can go back home to your family, the voice said. It was Verlis. That prick held her against her will to perform in this room for kids. He forced them to play a sick, supernatural game. The curtains closed and the lights turned off. The door that we had come in through opened again. We were silent for a few minutes, keeping our heads down low, looking at the floor. None of us could say anything, but we knew how each other felt deep inside. I wonder who that poor woman was. She seemed so sweet yet sad and tired. Cassandra sighed. I'll remember her forever. Her song left something in me, a strange feeling that I don't think will ever go away, Vince said. As I mentioned in the beginning, he was the strong guy in our group of friends. Stern, gritty, and never took anything from anybody. I hadn't seen him before the way that he was after the song. I think we all feel the same way, Vince, Emma said. Guys, I don't want to be rude, but do you guys also feel fresh? Like super energized, I feel exactly as the rule said, 
David exhaled. We all said yes in unison. A light turned on on the left side of the side, illuminating a door. It opened by itself. I think we gotta go through there, right? Eddie said, pointing at the door. Here we go again, Vince replied. The smell of food hung in the air. Our stomachs growled instantly. We found ourselves standing in the kitchen. Man, I'm freaking hungry, Cassandra said. I think it's from the smell. Maybe it's getting us high or something like that, I replied. But it smells so delicious. A large pot boiled on top of the gas stove. A fish head stood on the counter, blood and guts beside it from what probably was an earlier evisceration. Jars filled with liquids that seemed expired and gross. Dirty knives, forks, and spoons lay scattered on the kitchen counter and floor. One thing stood out in all that disgusting excuse of a kitchen. A large mason jar filled with gold coins. The sausage and other various types of meat were nailed to the ceiling. Also a pig's head was stuck in a spike on the left wall, with a bucket under it for the blood to drain. The pig had a sort of evil grin on its face and it looked right at us. The kitchen led to another room. Loud banging noises came from there. I heard a man's voice getting angry with each thud. Dang bones. Huh? What do I smell there? The man asked himself. The door busted open and the man stepped inside the kitchen and we froze. The man's belly was enormous and the goiter was so big that it covered his chin. Beads of sweat formed on his bald head as he looked at us with awe. Vegetable oil, blood and fish scales dripped from his long orange beard. He wore a ripped t-shirt with his cartoonized face that read, Papa Bud's Best Bites. Children, welcome, he exclaimed, belching. It's good to have you here. Excuse the mess. We all stood petrified as we watched that man. His spittle flew from his mouth whenever he talked, and his rotten teeth added to his already horrific demeanor. At one point, I thought that I saw worms in the back of his throat eating away at his amygdala. Fat dripped off his fingers. He wiped his hands on his dirty jeans, but the fat kept coming out of his fingers as if it came from inside of his skin. He sweated a lot and belched even more. At first, I thought that he was an idiot, one big idiot. But of course, nothing was what it seemed in that house. And I also remembered the rule. We would get the gold coins only in exchange for a correct answer to one of his riddles. What's your name? Emma asked. We all glanced at her, letting her know with her eyes not to speak. No, oh, it says right here on the t-shirt, miss. Bud, but short for Budley. I used to be one of the best chefs in the world at some point, you know. But then Edgar Verlis came into my restaurant and he didn't like my food. He said that it tasted bland. Bland. I had three Michelin stars for Christ's sake, he said. He belched again and a cloud of thick green smoke came out of his mouth. Uh, radioactive breath, let me tell you. Phew. Another prisoner for Verlis's diabolical will. How did he make you come here? I asked. Well, he said he'd kill my mama if I didn't come and learn to cook here. 
You've been giving me these green pills that make me go kind of insane in the brain. I see stuff that's not there, and that stuff that's not there, it tells me things. Right now, it says that I need to eat all you fingernails if you don't give me the right answer, he said. The man was crazy. I pitied him because it wasn't his fault. The demon Verlis made him like this. He made poor Bud go crazy, and he didn't even know what he was doing anymore. Can we give you something else in exchange for the gold coins? Vince asked. No, Bud cried. We have to follow the rules. The rules are important to this house. If we follow the rules, nothing bad will happen. We all looked at each other in awe. The white in Bud's eyes had turned red and popped out of their sockets halfway. He stared at us with malicious intent as if possessed by an evil spirit. No, you only have 60 seconds to give a correct answer. If you don't have one, I'll pluck out your fingernails with these right here pliers. I'll take the ones off your feet too and make them into a delicious meal. Bud yelled. He was completely gone. His brain wiring scrambled beyond repair. The riddle was as follows. Not born but from a mother's body drawn, I hang until half of me is gone. I sleep in a cave until I grow old, then valued for my heart in gold. What am I? What's the answer, children? You want the gold coins, don't you? Give me the answer. My heart wanted to burst out and run from my chest. The pressure and the stress became unbearable and I could imagine how Bud would slowly put off the nails from my fingers and toes. A shiver down my spine made me cringe at the thought. All right, all right, Vince screamed. So it's got to be food related. I mean, the guy's obsessed with food, right? I mean, look at this place, David asked. We had a fast debate and it comes from a mother, but it's not born. Good for consumption. Um, cow's milk. You hang it someplace dark until it turns to something gold. Um, it's gotta be cheese, right? Asked Emma. Hurry, 15 seconds. Belched Bud. Yeah, that's it. Ten. I exhaled. Five, four, three. Cheese. It's cheese, I exclaimed. He smashed his fist against the table and roared like a wounded animal. He looked at us with crazy eyes and couldn't believe that he wouldn't have fingernails for supper that day. He nodded regretfully and proceeded to open the mason jar with gold coins. He carefully gave us one and pointed to the door that we had entered through. We hauled Bud in a second and found ourselves in a new room. Clocks ticked all around us. Both old and new clocks covered the walls, all showing different times. On the ceiling was a large clock with our faces drawn inside it. Hey, they missed my face on that thing, bummer. A kid's a ghastly voice whispered from behind us. What was that? Vince said. Oh, it's me, Oliver. I've been following you for quite some time. Rule number seven, right? Beware the uninvited guests, blah, blah, blah. Out of thin air, a kid with a torn striped pajama. He dragged a beat-up teddy bear with buttons instead of eyes. He was abnormally thin like a straw and translucent. I could see his ribs, organs, and intestines, everything through him. What happened to you, kid? David asked. 
He's been lying to you about everything. You won't get out of here alive. I tried to warn you from behind the door, but you wouldn't listen. So I had to sneak out and warn you all. I told you that I was once like you. He promised me and my friends money if we finished the challenge. We did finish and we got the key from the clockmaster. And then we went into the room with crystals where we were supposed to find the last rule of the game. The last rule said that one of my friends should stay here and the rest could go home. The alternative was that all of us would die, he said. Guess who stayed behind? How do we know you're not one of Verlis's tricks? Cassandra asked. You don't. You'll have to trust me if you want to live, Oliver replied. He went on with the story. Everyone in the floating house was dead. Some didn't even know it. Oliver knew it, but he said that he couldn't leave this place until somebody burned it to the ground. Bud was dead, trapped in Verlis's purgatory. Same with Elika. She thought that she would go home if she played a couple more concerts, but that wasn't bound to happen. That lady was spiders, well, she didn't even exist. Verlis made her real only to see if children got scared. If they did get scared, Verlis would be the one to eat them, not the woman. And the clockmaster, he had a shop in Zurich and Verlis went there to buy a watch. He liked the man and his skills and decided to make him his personal watchmaker. Alexander Meyer was his name. Verlis wanted a watch that moved backwards so that he could travel to the past and change it. The watchmaker told him that that was impossible, but Verlis told him to make it possible. He gave him power, his knowledge, and everything, but some things could never be attained. I was absolutely sure that he was telling the truth. We all gathered in a circle and we were on the same page. The ghost kid was legit. I'm buried under the floorboards, and we all are. He killed us and somehow didn't let us rest and brought us back to serve him. He loves this house, but right now he's just waiting in the room with crystals. He's resting until you get the second silver key. He gave you one in the beginning so that you could enter of your own free will. He gave you the hundred just for fun. But know that he wants your bodies and souls and one of you will die if you don't follow me. Or you'll all die. He sighed. He told us that he's been in this house for 250 years and all the children who came after never listened. Verlis killed them all, not many though, and discarded their bodies in the mountains, woods, rivers, deserts, and places that they would never be found. Oliver was all alone because Verlis wanted him to be, and to feel alone with nobody to talk to. I'm so sorry, Oliver, Cassandra said. We believe you. Show us the way and we'll help. Well, okay, so he likes to burn the bodies after they're dead. He likes the smell of the burning flesh. He's that sick. I watched him countless times. He takes a great pleasure in that, Oliver said. He told us that Verlis kept cans of gasoline in a tiny closet. He knew where it was and knew about a secret exit that he protected so that if anybody would ever listen to him, he could guide them to safety. Will it kill Verlis? Asked Eddie. That monster needs to die so this wouldn't happen ever again. I sure hope so, said Oliver. Let's set this place of evil ablaze. 
We left the room with clocks and walked a long corridor where the cold wind howled and the air smelled like death. We entered the room where there were a few canisters of gasoline. Matchboxes stood on a shelf. Think you can carry one each? Oliver asked. Heck yeah, we can, replied Vince. I'll carry two even. Dave, you take two as well. Cass M, you take the matches and let's burn this mother down. After that, Oliver led us to a back door where he asked us to open it because he couldn't grab physical objects. I opened the door which led to the backwoods. We got out with the gas cans and Oliver stood at teary-eyed in the doorway. We got you, buddy. Rest easy now. You all need to pour the gas and light a match. The power of friendship is strong and can destroy evil. So long, my friends. Oliver said. The door closed shut. We circled the house and poured all the gasoline from the five-gallon cans. We lit the matches. To friendship. I love you guys, I said. You're my brothers and sisters, Vince said. Love y'all, David said. I love you lots, Emma said. Best friends forever, Cassandra said. I'll tattoo your names on my arm, I swear said Eddie, giggling. We set the house on fire. Screams came from inside, along with high-pitched wails, as if whatever possessed it had died in agony. I could hear a familiar voice, tormented as the house turned to ashes. I will return someday. I am immortal. I will find you again, mark my words. I thought that I saw a flame shaped like Verlis's face. He glanced at me before the wind swept it away. After the flames ended, it seemed like nothing had ever happened there. The ghost house was no more and the ground was just as before. We all looked out at the stars. Some blinked as if saying hello and sending thanks. Maybe they went to the stars and beyond and wanted to let us know that everything was alright. I hope Oliver, Ilika, Bud, and Alexander will all be able to rest. And I also hope that Verlis rots below. Here's to true friends. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. Wherever you may be in the world, I hope that you're staying safe and sound. And as always, stay creepy. Selling a little, or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap, or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. 
Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.